Our second scripture passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you, I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Amen. Making a deal with the devil. It's a phrase that has fascinated poets and writers and musicians for centuries. The idea originated with a real-life person, a German magician named Johann Faust, who lived in the late 15th and early 16th centuries. Faust claimed that he got his magical powers because he had made a deal with Satan, which, of course, gave rise to all sorts of tales about his seemingly supernatural exploits. At the age of 60, Faust died of natural causes, but Philip Melanchthon, who was one of Martin Luther's colleagues, seized the opportunity and announced that Faust had been strangled by the devil on the day the price of his evil deal came due. Since then, Faust's story has been retold in countless ways. Everything from a tragically dramatic play by the, by the playwright Goethe to the opera Mephistopheles being performed this weekend by the Knoxville Opera to Charlie Daniels' immortalized song, the devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. I think Faust's story fascinates us for two reasons. One, we as humans like the idea of making a deal. And two, we have had more than our share of experience with temptation. We're lured by the idea of wheeling and dealing in order to become something more than we are. We're hooked by the promises that we can be more important or more beautiful or more wealthy or more powerful. 
Temptation is perhaps the most universal of all human experiences. And maybe that's why this story from the life of Jesus made it into the New Testament in the first place. Maybe it helps us to know that Jesus was tempted too. And if I'm honest, I like this story. I find it reassuring. It makes Jesus more accessible. It makes him more sympathetic, more real. Jesus knows what temptation is like. He understands what we face every second of every day of our lives. The story in Luke begins as Jesus, still dripping from his baptism in the Jordan, sets off into the wilderness. I think it's important for us to keep in mind that Luke tells us that Jesus does this because he's filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And it's a good thing because that Jesus is filled with something because there won't be anything else for the next 40 days. 40 days without a crumb to eat. Now, you know in the Bible, 40 doesn't necessarily literally mean 40 days on the, on the calendar. We know, it, we know that it's biblical code that means a long time. 40 days and night for Noah on the ark. 40 days that Moses fasted on Mount Sinai, 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, a long time, no matter who's counting. So it's no surprise that at the end of his 40 days, Jesus is literally starving. And according to Luke, that's when the devil sees an opening and makes a move. Turn this stone into bread. Be the ruler over all the world. Throw yourself down from the temple so the angels will bear you up. Be useful, Jesus. Be powerful. Be spectacular. Now, when you hear the word devil in this passage, don't envision the cartoon character with the horns and the pitchfork and the red jumpsuit. Think instead, as one commentator on this passage puts it, think instead prosecuting attorney. The great theologian Albert Albert Brooks, I think, puts it best when he says in the movie Broadcast News, what do you think the devil's going to look like when he comes around? Come on, really, no one's going to be taken in by a guy with a long red pointy tail. No, he'll be attractive. He'll be nice and helpful. He'll get a job where he influences a great God-fearing nation. He'll never do an evil thing. He'll never deliberately hurt a living thing. He'll just bit by bit lower our standards, especially where they're important. 40 days in the wilderness tends to strip away illusions. And Jesus is able to see the temptations for what they are, temptations to lower his standards, to settle for something less, to leave God behind and fix his troubles on his own. One does not live by bread alone, Jesus says. Worship the Lord your God and serve God alone, he says. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knows what's at stake. He knows and he won't confuse the means for the end. And he won't settle for anything less than what God has planned. 
A former colleague of mine, every year on this first Sunday of Lent, would compare Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness to the program Outward Bound. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. I didn't either. The first time I heard her use the analogy, I had to Google it. And when I did, I learned that it's an adventure travel company, for lack of a better term. For a few hundred dollars and a week or two of your vacation time, you can load up a backpack and head out to the mountains or paddle a rubber raft through the Grand Canyon or rappel off a 14,000-foot peak in the company of a small group of friendly strangers. The point is to challenge yourself, to do something you've never done before, to expand your horizons and step out of your comfort zone, to learn to trust yourself and the people you're with. The website says that it's all very safe, of course, with well-trained guides and dependable equipment and calculated contingency plans. From what I read, there's always a safety net. And one of the testimonials I read said that the real challenge of Outward Bound comes late in the week when you solo, as they call it. The well-trained guides drop you off all by yourself, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and they wish you luck for the next 24 hours. 24 hours to spend entirely alone. 24 hours with no food, no cell phone, no apparent safety net. No one but you for 24 hours. It sounds easy enough when you say it out loud, but 24 hours alone and you'll begin to find out who you really are. An article in the Christian Century from a few years ago says that's when you figure out what you really miss and what you're really afraid of. Some people dream about their favorite food, some long for a safe room with a door to lock, and some are desperate for someone to talk to while others just wish they had a pillow. But they all find what their pacifiers are. They find out what it is that they use to comfort themselves and ease their pain and their fear. What you discover out there is what it's like to be alone, alone with yourself, alone with your demons, and alone with God. You start to recognize what it feels like to be quiet and to be empty. And you start to realize all the things we do to fill our lives because we're afraid of what we might discover in the silence and the emptiness. In the 1600s, Blaise Pascal said that there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of every single one of us, an empty place in our souls that only God can fill. The problem is, Most of us spend our lives trying to fill it with anything and everything but God. I'm convinced that just about all of us are addicted to something. Maybe it's shopping, or maybe it's complaining, or maybe it's eating, or maybe it's grades, or maybe it's taking care of other people. But if the simplest definition of an addiction is trying to fill the place inside of us that belongs to God alone then all of us are addicted to something. If Jesus is right, 
then the wilderness is the place where we figure out what that addiction is. And that's why the season of Lent always begins out there in the wilderness. That's where we meet our demons and are forced to face our fears. But more importantly, that's where we find Jesus and where the Holy Spirit promises, promises to fill us just as surely as it filled him. The real trouble with the wilderness, though, is that while sometimes we go looking for it, far more often the wilderness comes looking for us, whether we're ready for it or not. And you all know what that looks like. You've heard me say it. The pathology report says malignant. The divorce papers are served. The rejection letters arrive. The layoffs in the office are likely to happen sooner rather than later. It may not be a wilderness of our choosing, but it's a wilderness nonetheless. It's a wilderness that strips us of all pretense, of all illusion and fantasy, and forces us to come to terms with ourselves and to come to terms with God. And it's scary, and it's hard, and it hurts. But in the end, we need to keep in mind that this wilderness journey is good news because the wilderness journey is gospel. In his famous book, Walden, Henry David Thoreau says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life. In the Gospels, Jesus went to the wilderness to live deliberately. And Lent invites us, often without our choosing, to do the same. Wilderness breaks open our lives and exposes our fears. But on the other side of the wilderness, and even in the wilderness, we learn what it means to worship the Lord our God and to serve no one else. We learn to live the life God calls us to live and we encounter the gentle and graceful love of the one who is with us through the wilderness journey and beyond. And for that, on this first Sunday of Lent, we say thanks be to God. Amen.